You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. I've learned that you don't do it alone. You learn so many different things from so many different coaches. That's an elite learning environment. Failure is not a problem. How you deal with it is a problem. How to be resilient. How important it is to infuse joy in the process of learning. To be a good coach, you've got to give more than you take. What an interesting life it is to be a leader. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our families, our colleagues, and our teams better. As the podcast has grown, the great coaches we have interviewed have shared so much insight and wisdom that we decided to create episodes dedicated entirely to the ideas that have resonated with us the most. Today's episode is on the topic of strength and conditioning coaching, and we are joined for the discussion by Dean Benton. Dean has worked with an amazing number of elite sporting groups, such as Rugby Australia, Japan Rugby, and England Rugby, as well as the Rugby League teams of Brisbane, Melbourne, Newcastle, and Canberra, and the Australian Rules Football teams, Essendon and Adelaide, as well as the Australian Netball team. He has also written and published extensively on topics related to strength and physical condition. He is a true authority on this important element of elite level sporting teams. And just before we go to the interview with Dean, if you like what we do here at The Great Coaches Podcast, then head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com, where you will find loads of exclusive audio and video content that you can search through, download and share. It's designed to get a conversation going and bring a different context to the challenges that your teams, organisations or family might be facing. 
and you can also sign up for our newsletter, which we publish weekly, that brings together all the best insights and ideas we get from the coaches that we interview on the podcast. And now, please enjoy our discussion on strength and conditioning with Dean Benton. You're listening to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. Dean Benton, good afternoon and welcome to the Great Coaches podcast. Good afternoon, Paul. How are you? Oh, I'm going pretty well. A bit of a rainy day here in Sydney. What's it like uh, down there where you are? A sunny day, actually, ironically, in Melbourne, so uh, no, no complaints whatsoever. Well, why don't we actually start there, Dean? Why don't you tell us where you are in the world and what you've been doing so far today? Yeah, certainly. Uh, in Melbourne, by choice, um, of uh, the family's elected to to stay in Melbourne now. The kids are all, at, uh, all settled in school, so... I've, I've obviously um, I've travelled around the world a fair bit. Um, probably got to the point where I uh, was doing too much. So yeah, so certainly elected to stay in Melbourne. Um, got my own business running these days, and also doing a little bit of consultancy with uh, Argentinian rugby. Argentinian rugby. Well, we can add that to the list of the world's great rugby nations you've worked for, because if I've got it right, there's England, Australia, and Japan. That's that's correct, yes. Well, actually, you've worked all over the world, Dean, and I'm sure you've met some great coaches along the way. In fact, you've worked with a couple of really big names. There's Vern Gambetta, Eddie Jones, and, of course, Wayne Bennett, the great uh, rugby league coach. But there's many, many others that you've crossed paths with, and I'm I'm just wondering, Dean, from your perspective up close, what do you think the great ones do differently that sets them apart? Good question. They're all different. Um, they're all unique, and they all bring different things. Um, yeah. So, but they do share some commonalities. Um, the great coaches—they know how to win. Uh, they have a laser-like focus. Uh, they don't get distracted, nor allow staff to get distracted either. Uh, great knowledge and experience is a given. Uh, that's just expected. But for me, it's the ability to communicate. And the, and the good ones really they have a innate sense and ability to to teach and to sell. Uh, I think that's one thing that sets them apart. It's um, it's funny um, you can always tell a, a respected coach when they walk into the room. The room goes quiet, and and that's when you know you you're amongst uh, greatness. I think another thing that sets them apart too is charisma. The great coaches um, they all have charisma something that's very hard to define, impossible to measure. Um, most coaches are good motivators, but it's the charisma that separates the great coaches from the good coaches. I don't think we've had that answer before, Dean. It's a fascinating one. How does, how does charisma, how is it experienced in an elite coaching environment like the ones you've been involved with? I think, as I said, it comes down to selling. They they they, they give a great sense of why. Um, I could, you know, all the good coaches do that. They give um, a great sense of direction as to why they're there. So they, as I said, motivation is usually quite short lived, but inspiration is much longer lasting. Um, and and as I said, selling is about the emotion. Um, and the good coaches are very good at at doing that. They're very charismatic at doing that as well. Um, the great coaches are always good teachers, which is the mental side of things, of course. But I think that's probably the best way to explain it. I want to talk to you a little bit about teaching versus coaching later on, but perhaps 
let's just start with strength and conditioning because on an elite coaching setup in a staff associated with one of these high-performing groups, national team or even a team in a in a national competition, what's the role of a good S&C coach? I think it's they probably function, think, and are treated like senior assistant coaches rather than just uh, a silo. Sometimes it's not a criticism, I suppose. It's more an observation. In Olympic sports, you'll see um, certain silos, but in the best professional sport programs, they're definitely seen uh, as and treated like assistant coaches. Um, and they're very good at contextualising how athletic performance is applied. They don't think in orthodox terms. So um, I'd say sometimes a, a strength conditioning coach will think in terms of, well, I've got them fast, I've got them strong, et cetera, et cetera, I've got them fit, I've done my job. But no, the job's not done until until it uh, until it's contextualised, until it's applied to the game model. Another way to think about it, whether it's AFL, rugby league or, or, or rugby itself, um, Best way to think about fitness, the definition for fitness is is a, is a team's ability to carry out the game model for an entire 80 minutes, or an AFL it could be 100 minutes, of course, and beyond. But that's probably the best way to think about it. In addition to, the good ones are very good at helping out the head coach in terms of synthesising and coordinating the sports science, sports medicine. Uh, sometimes information that uh, is is put to head coaches is quite overwhelming. These guys are, of course, very, very busy. So they can actually um, synthesise and play a role there for the head coaches. In, in, in many ways, coach, as, as coaches, it's about the ability to take the complex and make it, well, complicated and make it simple for, for the head coach in their role. Dean, does that role change on game day versus the training track? Well, absolutely. Um, by game day, um, your work's done. Um, and sometimes um, I find I used to get bored on game day because there, there wasn't a lot to be done. So, yeah, I, I suppose um, my work was was certainly in terms of preparation. Um, that's not to say that game day is not important. You'd, um, a strength conditioning coach does, does have a significant role to play, but it's different. Most of your work that you've done is, is 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 certainly helping the players prepare less so before. But that's not to be just you know you can't diminish your role there on game day. But certainly yes, uh, in, the, in the preparation of the players or athletes for that matter. Not just not just talking about the football and the rugby coach, of course. Your first job in professional sport was with the Australian rugby team, and you had very little actual knowledge of the sport at that time. But I'm wondering what that experience in that role taught you that has stayed with you as you've gone on to experience other sports, other codes, other countries. In many ways, I think it was an advantage not coming from a rugby background. Um, you know, I wasn't stifled by tradition and those sorts of things. Um, so I, I looked at the sport from first principle. So it, it was a massive advantage in many ways. There's an old saying, the principles are few, methods of many um there's more similarities between sports and differences um you know obviously between league and rugby and afl like afl actually has its roots in in rugby a lot of people don't know that um yeah there's as you move between the sports as i said there's more commonalities um all the sports require training principles training variables athletic qualities it's just molding 
um, those qualities uh, in the context of the sport in terms of what's applicable to that to that sport and and to be and to how much I should say. Um, but so yeah, coming back to your first point, yeah, I've, I've learnt more from from coaching performance from outside of rugby and rugby league than I've learnt from within it, and I've actively gone out outside the outside the the rugby codes, in particular rugby, to learn learn about those, um, and that's given me a huge advantage. Uh, I've I've certainly learned a lot from swimming, athletics. My background is from athletics, so um, soccer, and even recently ice hockey. So. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's an advantage to, sometimes to come from without side the sport. Actually, to that to that point, I have this fascinating quote from you. You say, "I'm not really interested in how much they lift in the gym exclusively. It's about how well it transfers to the field." It's really that idea of transference that that caught my eye, and I'm I'm wondering what do the best coaches do to ensure the transfer to the field is really maximised. Certainly, you have to work closely with the sport coaches. So, if you take rugby or rugby league, you're working closely with those guys and and, and assessing um, transfer uh, rather than looking at how much they lift in the gym. It's how much strength and power they can use on the field, and those things are discernible these days by eye. Um, look, if, it's very hard. Sorry, it's very easy, I should say, um, to discern in a gym environment how strong someone is, but can they apply it on the field? That's you can't always assume that. So you're certainly working closely with um, with coaches on that, um, and looking to where the manifestations of athletic qualities are appearing um, actually within that player's game. And if they're not, you've got to ask, you know, what's the missing link? And there could be numerous things. So, but as I said, but not looking at the sport in orthodox terms in terms of just numbers. It's it's looking at how it manifests or appears on the field. Dean, is there an example you could share where you've worked on that missing link that you just referenced and have been able to unlock it? Yeah, certainly. You, you, you could have, say, for instance, if you take the scrum, sometimes you'll have someone who's, who's very strong, but it's, it's, not, it's not transferring. And examples of that could be a lack of flexibility, or they can't get in and adopt certain positions, and that can come with all aspects of, uh, of contact. Uh, you can Sometimes you can see guys with, you know, significant leg power, but it's not transferring, and that could be, uh, could be again, could be flexibility, it could be technique. Um, but if you just looked at the numbers, um, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't know as to why that's not transferring. So I think it's important to, uh, it's it's important to, to to be assessed in terms of the application to the sport, not just not, not just by numbers and testing reports. I guess that whole idea of looking beyond the data is a key part of your role, in fact, any coach's role. But when I was preparing for today, I was looking at some documents that you shared with me, actually, and you you break down the pillars of how you define a world-class strength and conditioning coach. And I was wondering if you could just take us through those. In many ways, uh, coaching is like any profession. Um, you know, the, the three pillars I... I um, place weight on courses uh, is knowledge. Um, you know what? What does a person know? What does a coach know? Experience. What have they done? And their capabilities. What skills and, and characteristics do they have? They're the three. They're the three main pillars. Um, I think that's a good place to start. A background within the sport. Um, 
as an athlete is helpful. Not certainly not a prerequisite to being a good coach, but uh, but it certainly offers credit credibility and also a big one is empathy. That uh, if you actually haven't done it or done it in a in an elite sport before, it's very hard to have empathy for what athletes are going through. So I think that's that's certainly it's certainly important. The other one I was alluding to before, the, the, the ability to teach, train, and assess all athletic qualities. I think that's important uh, rather than just be the jock of the gym. Um, to be able to work across all all qualities, speed, power, strength, endurance, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, as I was alluding to before, yeah, the ability to teach it, well, aside from just coaching it, of course, or training it, um, and the ability to communicate it to sell it, to give the athletes the reason why is, is critical. Well, to that point, Dean, could you take us through the way that you differentiate teaching from coaching? Yeah, certainly. Um, teaching is about the acquisition of new, new, new knowledge and new skills. Coaching, on the other hand, is more focused on refining, developing knowledge and skills over time. Teaching tends to be a one-way process where the teacher transfers their knowledge to the athlete, uh, whereas coaching is a two-way process. Um, and as, as that two-way process grows over time, it actually flips around the other way. Um, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. Uh, but the, the coach, you know, provides in the, in the coaching process, um, as I said, it, it's, it's feedback. Good coaches, I got this one from Bill Sweet, good coaches see what athletes don't. A good, good athletes feel what coaches don't. So that, as I said, certainly coaching is a two-way process. And, and over time, um, you certainly it, it um, your role then changes, whereas the the athletes having a much much more significant role in in terms of what they're doing if that makes sense over time, as opposed to when they're starting off to the the young athletes, so to speak. What about this ex- uh, experience when you see teams having a flurry of soft tissue injuries, and it's often the S and C coach who is pointed out as being the one if not to blame, or the one who's got a significant hand in that scenario. When when that occurs, when there's a high-pressure moment and, and the focus comes onto one element of a coaching staff, what do you see the best groups of coaches do? Well, they don't panic. Um, Wayne Bennett was very good at that. His, um, his ability to absorb pressure was incredible. Um, and I think to re- remain rational, um, not be overly emotive about um, spates of injuries. Sometimes injuries can come down to errors. Um, sometimes it's just bad luck. Um, but, yeah, I suppose um, looking at each each injury case by case, so to speak, um, and, and not becoming, um, you know, as I said, too emotive about it, um, particularly in professional sport, those pressures um, can, can certainly be magnified by the media a lot um and of course you know yeah it's uh it's the whole game's dependent on results and, and if those injuries are linked to poor results well yeah that's um that can um result in significant pressure on staff within programs which is not pleasant hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Emotional. You mentioned emotional control there twice. Easy to say, I guess, but difficult to do in the world of high-pressure sport. Have you seen routines that people may have that are better than others when it comes to controlling their emotions? Yeah, so I suppose it's always a state of, um, as I say, trait and state. Um, some people are less inclined um, to be emotive than others. Some people get better over time at controlling their emotions. Um, some of it comes from experience. Um, yeah, but as, as I said, um, professional sport, you know, can be a hard proving game for that at times. Dean, how has your approach to experimenting to learn changed as your career has progressed? I say this because you've, you've authored many, many scientific papers, and I'm wondering how you've evolved as you've become how this thinking of yours has evolved? Have you moved up, become involved with ever more sophisticated and highly performing or elite level teams? Yeah, I, I probably, I see myself as a sports science educated coach rather than a sports scientist. Um, yeah, so most of, most of my articles are written, as, I suppose, uh, are around coaching applications. Um Unlike science, coaching and art have no rules. So experimentation um, is where a lot of new things are born. Um, and I think the, that's where breakthroughs happen in sport. Um, and I think another way to, to really to experiment within staff is, you know, none of us are smart as, as all of us. And I think sometimes getting staff together and, and debriefing, um, which in itself is experimentation, and you learn as you go, um, I think the, um, you know studying facts and then reflection either by yourself or among staff um, and allows you then um, through experimentation to to see the results of those two things. Dean, what debriefing routines do you use? I've got I've got I've been given some good ones over the years. Frank Dick is is has been very generous with these with these performers, but um, there's it's simple ones, you know, what was done well, what could be done better, uh, what could be done next time. Um, it's usually about five or six critical questions that, that you would that you would ask yourself uh, upon reflection or as, as a staff or even on um, where appropriate, asking athletes, of course. And I think uh, lots of learning comes, comes from that um, organically. Uh, and through that, of course, um, you learn, and which is in a in a in a, in, a, in a funny sort of way, experimentation. Dean, I've got another interesting quote from you. You say, coaching an athlete and teaching them in the language that you use, it's not easy. 
and they're all different. And so you have to know how to communicate. And I guess this quote is amplified by the international experience you've had, but from traveling to all these places, what have you learned about communication, particularly in high-pressure situations? Yeah, as you point out, they're all different. So, and you have to be discerning, particularly in different countries and different cultures. Um, I've had to get better at that and get better at that fast. But, um, but I think the good coaches, they have a, a good understanding of people, how they feel, what makes them tick, and the best way to influence them. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not what you say, it's what they hear, perceive, and more particularly feel. I think that's very important. So you certainly, in high-pressure situations, accuracy, sincerity, and brevity of communication is, is very, very important. You talked then about hearing, precision, feeling. You talked about what makes the athlete tick and precision and brevity. And I'm interested if you could share an example with us of how you've read these things and looked beyond the data to help an individual or a team perform. Yes, um, just trying to think offhand of a, of a certain situation. But I, I think when I first started out coaching, I was, like a lot of young coaches, quite transactional. As I've got towards my latter years, I would say I'm latter, but I'm only 54, um, you, you, you're much more transformational. And you sit down, you'll have a discussion with an athlete about where they want to go, where they think they need to go, rather than you telling them where you think that they need to go. So it, it, rather than planning for them, you plan with them and you get much, much better results um, by taking that approach. So that's probably, yeah, I think yeah, by doing that, you, you get a sense of, of what, what makes them tick um, and the best way to influence them. And then in, in many ways, they're actually helping you design their programs. And once you do that, you have buy-in and, um, yeah, we don't like it. None of us like to have decisions made for them, for us, I should say. So, yeah, consulting them is something that I've got better in over the years, I think. Well, I want to pick up on this theme, actually, because you started coaching track and field in the sprints area way back in 1996. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? Certainly be more patient. Um, so if I was talking to myself here, yeah, being more patient. Patience is is also um, how you act, of course, when you are have to wait longer than what you think you should. Uh, I think that's very important. Um, and also, too, knowing your blind spots as well. Um, knowing what you know, uh, know what you don't know but need to know. know. Find out from others what you don't know that you don't know. Because um, we all have we all have blind spots, Kruger Dunning effect, as they say, uh, and find out who does know and invest in them. That would be probably some of the main things. But um, the other things I would have to suggest is 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 I would have told myself many years ago to listen a lot more, talk a lot less, uh, ask more informed questions. Um, I suppose consider questions uninformed than uninformed statements. Um, coaching gives you many opportunities to, to say nothing. I think you should take advantage of all of them. Um, other ones, of course, is um, 
being present, um, I think sometimes, particularly at home, I think that's, that's very important. And being present um, and not being in the past or the future and actually listening a lot better. Other ones, um, coaching, coaching can't be taught. It can only be learnt. Um, and you certainly can't learn to coach on the internet. It's a craft that must be practised and experienced over time. Um, so there's certainly no shortcuts to, to experience and you can't buy experiences, we always say. I know that you're very passionate about learning through experience and you also have a very strong vision for where you would like the role of the strength and conditioning coach to go in Australia. And I guess so my final question is, in the distant future, if you do ever hang up the whistle, what's the legacy that you hope you have left when it comes to the role, perhaps I'll even go deeper, the art and the science of strength and conditioning coaching? Well, I'm not sure how influential I am here, but um, but I, probably I think it's gone away from the art. It's probably gone a little bit to, to being a little bit too data-driven. So I suppose um, a swing back to being more balanced between the art and the science. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm not quite sure how much influence I have in that, but... Yeah, I, you talked to a lot of the the more the older guys, and and that's their observations, and I agree with them. Um, but yeah, I think these days we're completely over endowed with information and and devoid of how to use it these days. Um, and I think it's easy to get suggestions to data and and to technology, but uh, as I said, it's the wisdom of how to apply it in a coaching environment, which I think is. Um, is not always present these days. Dean, I think that's not only true of S&C coaching, I think it's true of all facets of life, whether it's parenting or in the boardroom too. So thank you very much for your time today. I've enjoyed uh, learning a little bit more about strength and conditioning coaching. It comes up so often in these interviews and prior to meeting you, I didn't know as much about it as I liked. So thank you very much for your time today. And I hope, uh, well, I wouldn't say good luck to the Argentinian team, but good luck for you in your role with them anyway. Thanks, Paul. Hi, everyone. You have been listening to our episode on strength and conditioning with Dean Benton. And I hope you found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room or boardroom table for discussion. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. The interaction with the people around the world who listen gives us great energy. And all the details on how you can get in contact with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.